Bible? Hey, there we are. How are we doing this morning? Well, a few of you are awake. All right. We'll try to wake you up. Uh, if you go to, the, to Chicago, one of the things that you should see there is the Art Institute. If you have never been, it is an amazing museum. Uh, do you guys have that picture where you can show it? Let's see here. Uh, at the Art Institute, they have a million square feet of display space, various artworks. Uh, and they have a lot of art there that you would recognize. In fact, uh, you probably recognize this. Uh, but I'll tell you that the experience of seeing it in person is quite different than seeing it on Wikipedia. All right? Uh, this is a painting from the uh, late 1800s uh, by a man named Georges-Pierre Seurat. Uh, it is Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande Jatte. Uh, he was a French painter. Uh, the island of La Grande Jatte was a, uh, it's a little island out in the middle of the Seine River in Paris. Uh, at the time he painted, it was out on the edge of the city, out away from everything. Uh, and it's a massive painting. It's about seven feet by about 10 feet. So seven feet tall and 10 feet wide. It's monstrous. And you can go and you can see it. Uh, and they'll let you get actually quite close to it, which is interesting because when you see it up close, what you see is that the painting is made of, a, of lots and lots of minuscule dots of paint. And they're all roughly the same size, but there's a variety of shades and colors that are there. And if you're right up close to it, uh, you, can, you can see all these little dots. And as you step back from it, what you see is quite different. The, the dots fade into one another, and they blend and make colors and, you, and shapes. And you see uh, something different as you step back. You see uh, women and men and children and ladies with parasols and trees and the Seine River there and boats and dogs. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really interesting painting in the way that it's done. It took him two years to do it all. Uh, and it's, it's kind of fantastic. And the same thing is true in the book of Exodus. Uh, for the past several weeks, we have been looking, as we look at Exodus, you can take that down if you want, um, uh, we've been looking at the micro level of the tabernacle, which is another one of history's great works of art. Uh, as the tabernacle was built, the um, amount of artistry involved was magnificent. And we've been looking at the micro level. So we've seen things like the Ark of the Covenant and the altar and the curtains and the Holy of Holies and the holy place and the priest's garments and the tent poles, and the cherubim woven into the veil, and all the stakes and parts, and all of this stuff that goes into this massive thing, and on and on into all the details of this magnificent work of art that God is commanding His people to make. Uh, but what you see here at the end of this, of this section here, uh, the end of chapter 29, uh, chapter 30, and chapter 31 that we're going to go through today, is you you start to pan back and see the big picture of what God is intending to do with all of this stuff. Now that they, once they've got it built, 
What do you do with it, and how do you put it all together? So today we're going to put it all together, and we're going to move quickly through portions of three chapters. We're going to cover all of two of them, uh, chapter 30 and chapter 31, and the last part of chapter 29. So you'll want to buckle your seatbelt, because this is going to be a fast trip uh, through that much text. But if you have your Bible, I'd like you to uh, turn with me to chapter 29. Uh, beginning in verse 38, and follow along as I read. We're going to read the whole chunk we'll cover today uh, here right now. So let's, let's read together. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth sea of fine flour mixed with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink of... For a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering, as in the morning, for a pleasing offering, a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, while I will meet with you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And you shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its breadth. It will be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold in its top and around its sides and its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold around it, and you shall make two golden rings for it under its molding. On two opposite sides of it you shall make them, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in a year throughout your generations. It is most holy. To the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Every one who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, 
to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hint of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And with it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils, and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stockte and ankia and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each there shall be an equal part, and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition you shall not make for yourselves. Shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and carving wood work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the stand of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, 
written with the finger of God. Now, at the micro level, there are a whole lot of dots. Amen? Amen. Uh, There's lots and lots and lots of content uh, and details about all of these, all of this stuff and all of how it was to be made and how it was, what size it was to be and how it was to go together and how it was to be transported and who was to make it and all of these kinds of details are there. But as you step back a little bit, you see the bigger picture of this, of this section. And for our purposes, it breaks down into four big chunks, four major sections. And the first section is uh, chapter 38 to 46, there of chapter 29, and it deals with the daily sacrifices. In other words, after you've got all this put together, Moses, there's to be a daily sacrifice on the altar, the bronze altar out at the front of the entrance of the, of the tabernacle. They had the altar set up just through the gate that everybody could go through. And you're to have a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. And every morning, uh, the priests offered a lamb as a burnt offering. In other words, they burned the whole thing up. And with it, they also offered some fine flour and some oil and some wine. Now, these are the basic things that, can, that compose an Israelite person's diet. So you've got bread. You've got the flour for bread. You've got oil. You've got wine, you've got lamb, right? You've got all of the basics of life that you're offering to the Lord as a way of reminding everybody that all of the, li- all of the things that are needed to sustain life come from God. And so in the morning, we offer the sacrifice to God at the start of the day. And in the evening, at the end of the day, we offer sacrifice to God so that we can remind ourselves morning and evening at both ends of the day that my life is sustained in all of its parts and every bit of provision that I have, whether we're talking about uh, olive groves or we're talking about flocks or we're talking about fields, whatever we're talking about, all those things come from God. And, And God built that into the structure of every day of their life. That they would have twice a day reminders that life and provision comes from Him. And so, and as they made these sacrifices, uh, they were also a daily reminder of Israel's covenant with God, and that He had brought them out of Egypt in order to dwell with them, in order that they might live with Him. See, one of the things that you see in the Scriptures that's an ongoing kind of running theme through the whole thing is this, that God, from the Garden of Eden on, desires to live with his people. So in the beginning, God creates the garden. And what happens? People live with God. He comes and says that the Lord walked with them in the cool of the day. So in the morning and in the evening, as as the sun went down, God would be there and they would walk with him. Can you imagine doing that? Literally walking with God. the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, there He is right with you. Can you imagine what that would be like? Okay? And God, uh, of course, intended for it to be that way and intended for it to be permanently that way. But what happened? Well, in the Garden of Eden, 
uh, Adam and Eve fell into sin. And so they had to be cast out of the garden and out of, go out from God's presence. And ever since then, what God is seeking to do is to restore relationship with people such that they can dwell with Him and He with them again. In fact, if you read at the end of the book, uh, chapter 21, God says, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and they will be His people, and He will be with them as their God, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain anymore. Some of my favorite verses, by the way, in the whole Bible. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new, right? Because God's goal is to put us back into relationship with him and to actually live with us and us live with him safely. And the whole structure of all these sacrifices and priests and everything was to enable God to take a people out of slavery in Egypt and redeem them and make them his so that he could live with them and they could live with him. Says, I am their, so that they'll know that I am their God who brought them out of Egypt. And the glory cloud would come down on the tabernacle and they would see that God was literally dwelling in the middle of their camp. And in a tent similar to theirs, God is taking up residence. This is an amazing thing that God was doing in the tabernacle. And... And so God said, you know, I want you every morning to remember that, that life and, and all of the provision that you need comes from me, morning and evening. You're to remember that. By the way, still a good practice. That is still true. Amen? God provides everything that we need for the sustaining of life. God, is, uh, God intends to be at the center of our lives and to live with us. And for us to live with him. And there, there ought to be, throughout the day, ongoing worship of the living God. Because God is still uh, the God who commanded his people regular worship. Worship with, in Israel was not, a, was not a weekly thing. A lot of people think that. You know, well, the Sabbath, you know, that was the day for worship. No. Every day was a day for worship. The Sabbath was a day for special worship with the congregation as a whole. But every day was a day for worship. In the morning and in the evening, they worshiped God as a people. And the same thing is true with us. Amen? Every morning when you wake up, you, know, you can either say, Good morning, Lord, or Good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but whichever kind of person you are, right, whether you're a morning person who bounces out of bed and is so happy to greet the day, or whether you are going, oh Jesus, help me, <laughs> I'm about to get up, <laughs> right? Uh, whichever way you you tend to be wired, you know, we're to greet the, the day with the Lord and end the day with the Lord. And worship is not a weekly thing or a semi-annual thing or, a, you know, if somebody's getting married or getting buried thing, it's to be a daily thing, the ongoing event of your life because God has redeemed you and I from slavery the same way, not from the Egyptians, but from sin and death. And, and he wants to, 
us to dwell with Him and, and Him with us. So let's move on. The next section that you see there, uh, chapter 30, deals with all of the priestly service. And it deals with all of the remaining items that the priests would need as they went about their daily ministry. And the first one that's mentioned is the incense altar. Uh, it's about a foot and a half square and about three feet high. And it's a wooden box, essentially, with, that's overlaid with gold. And it has rings on it uh, for poles so that it can be carried. And what you did was uh, had a lip around the top with four little projections called horns around the corners. And what you did was you put coals in the top of that. And if you were a priest, uh, you put some coals from the altar on top of that incense altar, and then you would burn incense on it as you prayed before the Ark of the Testimony on the other side of that veil. And the idea was that you were having having offered sacrifice on the altar, you were now offering prayers up to God, and the smoke of the incense on fire uh, would symbolize their prayers going up before the Lord and the thing would the room would fill with smoke as you put this incense on the on these coals but it symbolized your prayers going up before before God and once a year uh, the priest had to make atonement for the altar itself because part of what you're doing as you're praying as a priest is you're confessing the sin of the people and so that had to be atoned for and so every year on the Day of Atonement, part of the blood that they would collect from the sacrificial animals, they would smear on the horns of the, of the incense altar as a way of saying the blood of sacrifice has also cleansed us from the sins that we confess. And, and that's, again, still true. Uh, Another one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, I know it's basic, I know it's one that every kid learns or ought to learn when they're knee-high to a basketball, but remember John, uh, 1 John 1, nine, If we confess, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we're cleansed the same way, not through the blood of an animal, through the blood of Jesus, who on the Day of Atonement made sacrifice for our sins. Who at Passover, His blood was spilled. And the final atonement was made. And we can go in, therefore, and we don't have to have smoke and incense and so forth to know that our prayers go up before the Lord because Jesus said, if you ask in My name, that God hears. And we can have confidence as we pray. Um, now the next item is the census tax. And every Israelite male, 20 years old and older, had to pay the census tax. So you remember this actually from your New Testament. There's a great incident involving this that happens where, uh, where Peter and is asked, you know, if Jesus pays the temple tax or not. And Jesus says, well... Uh, who do the sons of men collect taxes from? From, the, from their sons or from other people's sons? The kings of the earth, who they collect taxes from? And, and Peter says, well, they don't collect from the prince. They collect from other people's kids. And he says, it's because the sons are exempt. He said, in other words, telling Peter, you're exempt from paying the temple tax because you're the son of the king. But 
Go and throw your hook in the water and pull out a fish, and in it you'll find a coin for the tax for you and for me. And this is that tax, and that tax went to sustain the, uh, the operations of the tabernacle itself. And everybody had a moral debt that they owed as a result of their sin. And so you had to, in a sense, ransom your life every year uh, through the payment of this tax because it was the operation of the tabernacle that enabled God to be in relationship with you and you to be in relationship with him. And so you, in a sense, bought your life. And if you were rich, you, your life was not worth more. And if you were poor, your life was not worth less. Everybody's life counts the same. And so the tax is the same for every person. You had to pay it. Uh, and that enabled the tabernacle to keep operating and functioning. And the next item is the bronze basin. And basically what it is is a giant, big metal sink. And it's full of water. And the purpose behind it is very, very obvious. Uh, if you have ever slaughtered an animal, you know that that is uh, not a neat process. I'll just say that. There's no way of doing that in which you do not get dirty. Uh, in fact, you know, they had to skin part of the animals. They had to, they had to slit throats and collect blood and so forth and you know, disembowel part of these animals. There's no neat, clean, easy way of doing that. And you need a place in order to clean up uh, the parts of you that are exposed. And the parts that would be exposed most especially would be your hands and your feet. The priests all served barefoot. And they, they didn't have anything over their hands or their feet. And so those parts get dirty. And they need a way to get clean so they can continue to serve at the tabernacle. And so the sink or the basin, was the way of doing that. It was the provision that God had made in order to make that happen. Um, by the way, when you read in Revelation about the crystal sea, that's this. That's this item. Um, it's not a body of water. It's a container of water. Uh, and it's not made of bronze anymore. It's made of crystal. And they call it, elsewhere in the scripture, it's called the sea, S-E-A. Um, and it was the place of cleansing and purification. Uh, and it being crystal in Revelation is because final purification has been made. And you don't need to clean up anymore. Uh, but in any case, um, that's rabbit trail for another day. But in any case, uh, what this enabled you to do was to get cleaned up. If you were going to live with a holy God, you could not be dirty. And to be dirty was to um, be regarded as morally and spiritually impure. And so you had to have a place for cleansing. And this was it. And the last tabernacle items that are mentioned are the anointing oil and the incense. The anointing oil was poured on the priests and on everything else in all of the tabernacle as a way of setting them apart as holy to the Lord. And then the incense that's described there at the end of uh, chapter 30 has to do with um, the altar for the incense altar itself. You had to make something to burn on it, and this is how it was made. And as you step back from all these articles, what you see is the purpose for all of them has to do with purification and prayer. 
And we don't use a, a sink in the same way. We don't burn incense, at least in our church. We don't burn incense um, uh, as we gather together. Or, and we don't worship in all of the same ways. But our needs for worship are the same ones that, that, that are being expressed here and served here in these ways. Uh, we still need to seek the Lord every day with our lives and with everything in them, good and bad. By the way, last week, you were not here, you need to get online and you need to listen to that sermon. Our brother Bala was tremendous on that. And he was talking about praying to the Lord and bringing up before Him everything that is in your heart. Not just the, the parts that are shiny and happy and, and look really spiritual, but everything that you actually think and feel. Because the Lord already knows, by the way, but you avoid a lot of hypocrisy when you actually say what you really feel and think. And we still have the same need of being able to come up before the Lord and tell Him exactly where we are. And we still need continual purification. Amen? Jesus has made our atonement and we don't stand eternally guilty of sin anymore. But nevertheless, we get dirty day by day. We continue to have a sin nature and we continue to need washed and cleansed by the Holy Spirit as we come to God. And if we're going to be in relationship with the same Holy God that they were in relationship with, we're going to need the same kind of regular opportunities for confession and the reception of cleansing. Uh, and when we come to Jesus and confess, once again, we're cleansed. Uh, we, are, we are washed and cleansed. And, and purified of all that is dirty about us. Now, chapter 31 uh, marks a big transition where we are actually done looking at all of the articles uh, in detail and how to make them. And the requirements are a little detailed and pretty intimidating to read through, but they were completely necessary because if, if they weren't followed in every detail... And, they, and the practices that are described were not kept in every precise way, as precisely as they're given, then there was no way for a holy God to dwell peacefully in the midst of sinful people. And Moses is not going to make all these things personally. You know, Can you imagine how long that would take? Just one guy doing all this. Uh, instead, what God said was, I'm gonna, I've got some... Some specific people in mind. I've got a guy named Bezalel, another fellow named Aholiab, and then I've got an, an, a larger group apparently that these two guys are going to supervise. And they're going to make all of these things. And Bezalel, by the way, is the first man in the scripture def described as filled with the Spirit of God. I think that's significant. That in the process of constructing this thing for worship, you're going to need spirit-filled people. And can you imagine the diverse skills and talents that are required? I mean, look at, look at what's here described. Uh, all knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and carving wood to work in every craft. Uh, you've got all kinds of stuff. You've got woodworking. You've got goldsmithing and silversmithing and engraving 
and weaving and jewelry making and tanning and leather craft and sewing and all of this stuff has to all be done and has to all be done in a relatively short period of time uh, and there's an incredible level of artistry involved. Can you imagine what it would take to make a curtain that has the same design all the way through and is four inches thick? I don't know how to do that. Uh, I don't know how to do any of the things that are described here as, as being done by Bezalel and Aholiab and the guys who worked with them. You know, to make these, uh, to make as an example the mercy seat, which the entire thing was of one piece of beaten gold and it has two winged angels, one at either end, and they're all made out of one piece. How do you do that? I don't know. But here's what I do know that they were filled with the Spirit of God and enabled to do the things that God required. Uh, God gives all kinds of commands about how He wants to be worshipped, and then He enables people to worship Him in precisely that way and to do the things that He requires in His commands. And, and I think in that, I think we see a testimony of God's grace. Because God commands a whole lot of things of us, doesn't He? He he tells us things like, you need to flee from sin. He tells us you need to serve with your spiritual gifts. You need to share the gospel. You need to do, um, you need to live with your wives in an understanding way. Men, uh, you know, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. Children, obey your parents as to the, you know, as as the Lord, right? Um all these kind of commands that, that we think, we read them and we go, there's no way I can do that. And you know what? You're exactly right. There's no way you can do that. But, but Bezalel was just the first guy to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that Jesus has come, all of us are filled with the Holy Spirit and God in, still enables everything He commands. So yes, it's too hard for you and too hard for me and too hard for anybody to perfectly obey God in all the ways He commands. However, when He sends the Holy Spirit as He did here, as He does for all of us since Pentecost, He still enables what He commands. He tells us, do this. And you go, I can't do that. And He says, it's no problem. I'll give you the Spirit and He will enable you to do what you cannot on your own do by yourself. And finally, at the end of chapter 31, what you see is that God, is, God once again brings back up the Sabbath laws. And I had to think for a second why that is there. Why, why give another set of instructions about the Sabbath? I mean, haven't we already read this at least twice? But as I kept studying, it's, it became clear, and it's this, it's that the whole point of all these instructions from the beginning of them to the end, is to enable them to worship God as He literally lives among them. And He wants them to be able to live as His people, and they're made to worship Him and bring Him glory. And this section serves as another reminder of the fact that that worship was not just what the priests did for or with the people, 
but it was also the worship that every single Israelite was commanded to offer. There's no one who is excluded. He says if anyone does any work on the Sabbath, I don't care who it is, they're going to be cut off from their people. And it was also part of what they did every single week. Every single week they showed up uh, to worship God because God's desire was that they would worship Him and bring Him glory. Uh, Regular worship uh, of the living God was not only something that was commanded, it was literally built into their calendar that you were going to be part of the worshiping community of the people of God because He was living with us and He had rescued us out of slavery specifically so he could live with us and be our king and ruler and and God. Now, you know as well as I do, we don't worship God like this anymore. We don't have all all these articles. We don't have a tent we have to go to. Uh, We don't have to, uh, you know, I I don't function as a priest. You know, I'm not sacrificing animals out in the parking lot. I don't have to get my stuff on. Uh, you know, my holy robes and, and, uh, and ephod and all that kind of thing to, to uh, stand in, in front of you or to represent you before God um, because Jesus is our great high priest and we don't have need for another priesthood offering animal sacrifices that are inferior in every way to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. In fact, we don't need a special location for worship with all kinds of furnishings and articles symbolizing spiritual truths because we have the realities that those things foreshadowed. We have the cleansing and the purification that the sink represented. We have uh, prayers that we know are going up before God because under the new covenant, what we are told by Jesus, we receive what we ask for in faith. We aren't commanded to pay an annual ransom for our lives because Christ's death has paid our ransom and bought us from slavery to sin and death. And unlike Israel, of whom Bezalel is the first person in the scriptures mentioned as being spirit-filled so as to make worship possible, in the church, every single person, every single one of us, is spirit-filled follower of Christ who is able to worship God in a way that is fully pleasing to him. And God doesn't just dwell with us in a tent. He dwells in us, which is much better. And yet, in spite of all these manifold blessings that we have, we struggle to worship God with our whole hearts and our whole lives um, Israel was told the days and the times and the ways and the amounts of money and the types of sacrifices, and they were commanded at the risk of their lives, in fact, to worship God in holiness. And we, on the other hand, are told by Jesus, come follow me. But we're also told, whoever does not take up his cross daily, And follow me is not worthy of me. Because worshiping the living God is still something that happens not just daily, but happens at the risk and cost of your life. 
you give up who you used to be, your independent spirit. Some of us are kind of hard-headed, and it takes us a while. Um, I'm in that category. Uh, But you give that up for the sake of following Jesus. It happens at the cost of your life, and you say, everything I am for everything you are. Everything I have for everything you offer. And you come to God on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ because he now has bought you for himself to be his child. Let me just ask you here as we wrap up, how are you worshiping God? Does he have all of you? All of you? Does he have your mind and the things that you think about? Does he have your mouth? Does he have your physical body and all of your strength? Does he have your soul? If not, remember this. Just as God commanded Israel to make all of this stuff, and then enabled and empowered what he commanded, God still does that. Amen? He still calls us to obedience. He still gives us very clear, in fact, too clear for some of us sometimes, instructions on how we're to walk with him, how we're to live with him, how we're to follow him, how we're to obey him, and we struggle with that. At least we do if we try to do it under our own steam, and under our own power. But if we are filled with the Spirit, then God enables us to do what He commands. And then we're able to worship Him with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength, our whole life. Amen? Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us to worship Him well. God, our Heavenly Father, we know as we read the Scriptures what Your commands are. And we know that they are not burdensome, but they are meant to give us life and health and hope. And that we are meant to dwell with You in daily relationship. At the beginning of the day and at the end, as we sleep through the night, You watch over us. And... When we wake up, it is according to your will. And when we stop waking up, it is in accordance with your plan. All of our times and all that we are and all that we have is is a gift from you. Father, we pray that we would worship you because you have given us more than we deserve. More than we need more of your love and grace than we can even really articulate or describe. Father, we pray that we would worship you well, that we would look at the manifold blessings that we have in Jesus Christ and just praise you because you are amazing. Having bought us from slavery to sin and death and its final penalty of hell, You have brought us into relationship with Yourself that we might live with You. You might be our God. And we, Your people.
And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name.